Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop at goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. It's a blizzard from the route there. Fire in the pill, ruin the corners. It's a blizzard. It's a blizzard. Hey, good evening. <laughs> good evening. Good evening. All right. The worm turned in Irish rugby. Um, Ireland got beaten by 50 points to 10 against England in 2000. Something like that. A lot of points to 10. Six Nations. Brought in loads of new players. Who brought them in? Warren Gatlin brought them in. Correct. We brought in loads of new players, and that year we hammered Scotland 44-22. That was uh, 19th of February 2000, so it was probably the second match of the tournament. Since then, I can name all the times Scotland have beaten us. Now, so I have, do it. I have been looking it up. Okay, so 2001 is us being far too cocky, thinking we're going to win a Grand Slam after the foot and mouth game. Mm. Absolutely hammered by them. The next time... Uh, 2007 Rugby World Cup warm-up. Doesn't matter. Jordan Murphy broke his leg. Okay. Last game in Croke Park. Mm, which no, was, that's 2003. Last game at Croke Park. Dan Parks kicks all the penalties and we lose the game. We should have won 23-20. I was at every, I was at every rugby match in Croke Park. So I think I was as well. I was at that one. Oh, it's so fucking disappointing. 2011 Rugby World Cup warm-up. 10-6. I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. I wouldn't count it either. Like, I don't think they should be test matches. I think that was our first, first warm-up. Um, Scotland had a black centre back then. I can't remember his name. We'll never know. Uh, <laughs> okay. 2013, 12-8 to Scotland. Rog kicks it backwards. <laughs> I don't remember that. That was a misery game. Misery performance. And uh, Paddy Jackson played, and Luke Marshall played and played really well in that game. But it's just fucking a hockey drain. And Raj, Raj had two absolute nightmare kicks. One like the the cross kick that literally went backwards, and he had another shocker. He got blocked down or something. That was the last game ever. And then Busgate, which Bus turned up late, and we lost the game. And no one ever stopped talking about buses until Underflower and said, "I love it when busters late." <laughs> Don't <Okay>. I? <laughs> I'm reading this out because we won every other game against Scotland. I can name all the games we've lost against Scotland since the turn of 2000s. Prior to that, I think it's 13 out of 14 games Scotland beat us in a row. There's one draw in the middle of it. That was my entire Five Nations childhood growing up, losing to Scotland. So I have absolutely no sympathy for putting them to the sword. And I also think they've gotten a lot better from them being completely rubbish in their... Nadir in the noughties. So I don't mind them being a bit cocky and they've gotten to being the fifth best team in the world. But we blew them away. And you were both at it, so why don't you tell me a little bit about that after my incredibly long pre-ramble? I, I enjoyed the, the uh, pre-ramble rather than preamble. <laughs> I like that. It was a pre-ramble. 
Um, yeah, I was a little bit more uh, spiky, I suppose, about the Scottish players. One in, one in particular, I was Blair Kinghorn said that like basically the absolute yellow pack version of Joe Namus guaranteeing that Scotland would would win against Ireland, which I thought was like when when that doesn't happen, like you've made your guarantee that it's it's a big thing to say. So so I think we should just remind him of it in every podcast. If, if we had a if we had a recording of it, I'd put it in the music concrete. Um, they my my reading of it from both like I was reading the headlines in in the Scotsman of the day before. And the vibes and interview, not just vibes actually, but actual written interviews that uh, were published. And they were, they were, as Jerry Thornley said, curiously cocky about that match. As, and I can understand that there's a part of me thinks like, Scotland, uh, we played them all the time. You know, we played them in, we played them in the, in the league all the time. And then, you know, we all, we play them every year. There's nothing to be worried about here, but. The reality is, like, they fucking lose to us all the time. They had similar sort of talk this time, roughly this time, four years ago when we were over in Japan. And they were quite, um, again, cocky about how that game was going to go. And they talked a good game. I think that's really come through under Townsend of talking a good game. And not not to say that they can't play well uh, in parts, because like while the ranking system is cumbersome, it's generally you know it's quite accurate. And if they're not the fifth best team in the world, like who is Wales? Um, so they uh, they came. They didn't. They didn't throw many shots against Ireland. Uh, they had some good periods of play. For the first half, they didn't look like, they didn't create a, a clear-cut try-scoring chance, or in my opinion, even even a half chance. And then they realised by 19-0 down that they'd essentially, maybe they didn't realise, but they should have realised that that game was gone from, they'd lost by 32 minutes. Game was done. I thought uh, Townsend in particular was quite gracious afterwards and paid acknowledgement to Irish this like Irish rugby system, saying, look, these guys are number one in the world, number one in the world for a reason, and you could see them being the same for five, ten years. They're very well organised. And, you know, I think the whole, again, the whole system is organised. And their underage feeders are, you know, they have a lot of talented players and they're well coached. Um so, like, the pre-match and the post-match, uh, I don't think you could, like... Here's what I'll say. It's hard you. to know, like, re- what, he, what he really thinks. It, it seems to me that he thinks both things. It seems to me that he, he thinks that not being scared of Ireland and having that sort of cockiness was the best way to approach it. And he seems to also be, be quite happy as I say, like acknowledge, but also praise what Ireland have done very well. And to say, 
like he wasn't going down that oh you know it was lucky or Hugo Keenan's foot was in touch it was like I'd never played them they're a good team and I've never seen them play so well um, how do you just never seen them play so well when you just got hammered like and I, that's that's yeah. a nice thing to say for yourself oh they played their best they've ever played against us hence they beat us so well did we play the best we've ever played no and I I guess the the, the the self-talk really was the thing that the difference or one of the differences, there's a lot of differences between Ireland. Like I've, I've been fascinated about the sort of the, the role that Gary Keegan has played. Um, there was an article about him that Dennis Walsh had on in Saturday's Irish Times and I reread it. I read it and then I reread it. And when I reread it, I just was looking for the, the quotes from Gary Keegan. There were very, very few quotes in Gary Keegan. And they were all from something that he talked about last year. Or the, sorry, they, they, they were in, they weren't quotes given to Dennis Walsh that week. They were quotes that he gave elsewhere. And the, the lengthiest <coughs> interview I found um, was in the currency with Paul Flynn. Now, it was lengthy because Paul Flynn's questions are as much statements and very much centred on his time with the Dubs, who Paul Flynn was playing with, uh, and very much centred around Jim Gavin. And Keegan works with the leader, so while I don't think there's an enormous difference between what he was doing with... Um, with Jim Gavin is is that different than he's doing with Andy Farrell? But I think he he helps the leader focus and get his message, and I guess offers feedback and promulgates that vision. But it, it's it's hard to say what he does, except that he's very effective. And I don't look. I don't think that was the only difference between Ireland and Scotland. But Ireland talk about you know sort of being ready for the next match. And Ireland were ready for that match. Ireland were very clued in about how to defend against Scotland. Um, they they cured their line out, fingers crossed, forever. Uh, or for, you know for for this tournament. And you know that they they displayed a few characteristics that they were just very determined, very clued in. They knew exactly what they were doing. And it's really only when you watch other matches and like Fiji and Portugal in particular, like Portugal are, are a minnow, but everyone's darling. And Fiji are in the quarterfinals. Everyone's darling as well. Everyone's other darling, but so disorganized compared to Ireland. Like the the Portuguese, you're kind of going, like how much better are they than the AAL champions? Like they have a few professional players, so I, I'm going to say that Portugal would win the AAL, and maybe they would win it quite comfortably. But like, really, how much better? Like, how, how many pros do they have? What like, just what's the gap? You know, like, is is there are are Portugal closer to Leinster than they are to Turnier? So let, let's presume that they will win the All Ireland League. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I would say they're closer to Turnier than to Leinster, but yeah, absolutely. They. They, they had a super match. Uh, they had a super tournament. But when you watch those matches, you just go, Jesus, they make some mistakes. Um, and they Ireland are playing like almost a different game than what Fiji and Portugal are playing. Now, you'd expect them to play a different game than Portugal. But to go back to it, it's just like the Irish preparation, the Irish ability to tune in was was leagues away from Scotland's. 
Like Scotland's talk was really delusional. It didn't it didn't didn't do them any good. If it was meant to imbue them with the se- sense of confidence, it was sort of misplaced confidence. And uh, that is one of the things that Keegan goes back to is that layering, is that idea of like returning to you, like that that culture is it's a live thing. You've got to keep on going back to it and you've got to think of what's really important to you. And like you've got to be prepared to go back. And again, there's an awful lot to what he does. So I sort of feel like I'm I'm not directly quoting him. So that's just my interpretation of it. But um the mental prep of that Irish team is fascinating. On the topic of the mental preparation, I do think that the to me, what the talking yourself up thing has done for Scotland is it's allowed them to beat England, who they couldn't beat for years, who they had a massive inferiority complex against for years. And then in the last six years, they've like so many good results against them. They've 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 had a similarly like bleak time down in Cardiff for God knows how long. I think talking themselves up has helped them a great deal get to a certain level, but it's not at the it's not at the level of the top four teams in the world. And yeah. it's not that But close. they're they're a good talented team. Uh my feeling on them and I've been impressed for most of this tournament with Finn Russell. Uh my feeling is that they they lack a uh, a good captain. I don't think Jamie Ritchie has been a good captain while he's been captain. I don't think he's like a bad guy or anything. I, I feel as a, a captain, he comes across as too petulant too often. Um, and then the same when, when things were going against Scotland in, in the, the game at the weekend there, I felt that Finn Russell came across as petulant. Now, I say that with the admission that when an opposition captain is complaining to the referee about the team you support, you tend to view them as petulant. But it's not as though Russell has no form in this sort of thing. Uh, and I will say very willingly that he's he's actually had a really good tournament for Scotland. And he has showed good leadership at times, mostly through uh, tackling and repeat efforts, in which he previously sort of, you know, occasionally he ducked out of things or just didn't, give a good account of himself in contact. So uh, he wasn't the he wasn't the big issue for Scotland uh, in terms of his performance. Uh, it wasn't what... But there's... My long-winded point is like, I'd say there's a pretty significant gulf in class that the Scots seemed to con themselves before the match that there wasn't. Like Tom English shredded them. Tom English is a Limerick journalist who's worked for a long time for, in BBC Scotland. Um, to the point that he's essentially like he's Scotland's premier or one of their couple of best rugby journalists. He's right up for the BBC the day, the evening of the match, absolutely excoriated the Scots. And he's in a curious position in that. Obviously, he's Irish by birth and Scottish by domicile. But it sort of summed up my feelings on it quite succinctly. It's always it's always interesting to read. An article, well, that's a great article. No, it's a great article because I fucking agree with things, isn't it? Let's talk about Ireland then. You described it uh, to me as almost a nightmare scenario. We picked an inside centre on the bench who can only cover one position. He covers the position of our form player and then both our wing- wingers get injured. Yeah, in the first half. In the first half. It was. like If you looked at that 
if you said that in before the match, you'd be shitting yourself. Like it because it breaks up so many units. So you have your outside center goes into a different unit, the back three. Your scrum half goes. But hang on, he can't go into the back three with four of them there. I don't understand. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you meant that Bundy moved to the thirteen. No, no, no. Yeah, the thirteen goes sorry, to the wing. Number thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the thirteen you, goes in. Yeah, goes yeah, to yeah. the wing, and then the nine goes to the other wing. So that's another unit change. And then there's a position change within the unit where Bundy goes to thirteen. And this is all. And I don't say this vindictively. It sounds bad because I want to make the point, but like this is all to accommodate a guy to move into twelve who you didn't even pick as twelve in the first team. So it's it's a curious selection, and it's a. And it had the potential to go wrong because it's a lot of disruption for one. Like essentially, when, you know, Stuart McCluskey is your only, your you, like your outside back cover, and he only covers one position, and it's an inside back position. So, but it goes to show that Farrell's methods of choosing the subs aren't predicated by disaster planning. They're predicated, as we've said previously about thirty times per podcast, on vibe. And he wanted Stuart McCluskey in because he thinks. Stuart McCluskey is a better big game player, more reliable big game player than Jimmy O'Brien. I, d- I don't think it's just vibe, though. I think the second bit that what you said is absolutely what I'd agree with. It's it's he wants test match players. He's Stuart Mc- so Stuart McCluskey's in almost an odd. This is the thing that struck me about Stuart McCluskey's selection and his performance and the performance of the team is that. Had Robbie Henshaw not been injured, McCluskey wouldn't have been on the bench. That for a guy that Farrell obviously favours, because like that isn't the most efficient way to pick your to pick your bench, um, and it's questionably even was it the most efficient way to get a back three. Like if you think that uh, Jack Crowley has played fullback and will give you a second receiver, if your winger goes off, you can just move Hugo Keenan to wing and put Crowley to fullback, so you disrupt one unit. And you get a guy who's played a bit of fullback rather than moving around, as you said. But he not only did he have Crowley on the bench with that option, he he ignored that and went with the McCluskey option because he this is my opinion, he knows that McCluskey is a test match animal. But otherwise McCluskey doesn't get a doesn't get a game. Like if Henshaw's injured, McCluskey doesn't get a run out. If Henshaw's in not the, injured in the entire sorry, if Henshaw's not injured, McCluskey doesn't get a run out in the entire tournament. And that that's that's kind of odd because I would have had the the view that if you're going to take guys to the World Cup, you have to play them, or else it becomes very negative in your camp. And I, I would have really been of that of that mindset. And that's why I was kind of like, oh, it's a shame the Romania game is first and not the Tonga match before the tournament because you can play a big game against Tonga, you can rest guys, you can then play all your second stringers against Romania, then play all your first stringers against South Africa, and then depending on that, how that goes, um, you can make a decision about who plays against Scotland. But it's been quite obvious with Farrell, he's just picked his first team pretty much all the time. Okay, he had a few guys against Romania who he wanted to get a hit out and get some rugby into, but pretty much just first team all the time. And... The next guy, like as soon as Jack Conan comes back, he's in to the bench, and we just talked about McCluskey. So I thought it was it was such a Farrell selection, but I also think it it, it goes back to as well as Farrell to to Noosa for us. So Noosa for did the review in twenty nineteen, and 
talked about the psychological side of Ireland's approach need to be improved. Um, and then the, his quote is, performance anxiety or stress, I do believe is really relevant for us before and during the tournament. Um, at the end of 2018, we, we were now the front runners and I'm still getting my head around that, but you have to deal with that mentality of being a front runner and handling pressure and expectation in that period of being the best. And then to be able to, to manage the stress and expectation of performance, I really do believe it's an important area for us to look at and service better. The whole area of psychology has to be improved as well as health and well-being. And the players didn't miss a beat. So not only did McCluskey come in and like tactically this worked, but like it, it, they absolutely didn't miss a beat. And obviously you'd like low and you'd like Hansen to start in your matches, certainly ahead of like, you know, your second center and your scrum half playing in the wings. But Ireland just, like they didn't drop the heads whatsoever. Um, the players got into shape, and you sort of go, "Geez, like they've they've prepped for this. Like they really know what they're doing. This this stuff is really deep." But I think as well the fact that Nusa Fora called it out in the twenty nineteen, um, that review was published. Some of the comment was, oh, "Sure, everybody knows this stuff," but he he had to choose what to leave out of that report and to leave in and select the most important things. So the things that he chose were really things that he felt like these were really important. And then he went ahead and addressed them. So I think that element of the Irish performance, like this wasn't something that happened overnight. Like there was a plan Ireland was published and then they would have expected in 2019 that they thought, right, this is, this is where we need to be. But then 2019 didn't go to plan. And again, like there was a review done, areas highlighted that really seem to have been, have been addressed, which is incredibly impressive because I, I think like most teams sort of make it up as they go along. So particularly when you talk, when you think about what we talked about recently, Eddie Jones just being dropped in, Steve Borthwick has got England to the quarterfinals. They really look like they'll make the semifinals, but you go, like that's not ideal at all. I don't think England are, are as strong as they could have been. Um, and just this, this whole Irish model seems like it's so tight. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely tight. Uh, but you were saying that Farrell's selection of McCluskey was had had something to do with with New Sephora. I how like because of confidence or because of that Farrell is the team's reaction to. There are two wingers going off, and mm -hmm. the amount of disruption that it caused with units being broken up mm -hmm. didn't rattle the team whatsoever. Yeah, okay, yeah. And Gibson Park, if you if you recall his his part for uh, Dan Sheehan's try, Jesus, he looked he looked basically he did exactly what Mike Hansen would have done. He looked incredibly comfortable out there playing rugby in attack, in a bit of broken field, working incredibly hard off the ball and throwing the, you know, the uh, assist pass for the try. Like it was, it was the best part of Gibson Park is, uh, is his game, is his, his distribution, his quickness, his fitness. And it's also like, Jesus, you know, if Gibson Park got injured and Murray was already off, you could see Mike Hansen going in and line, you know? And I guess another way that I'd look at this and I, I think this is on a on a on a theme with uh or on a continuum with him selecting McCluskey on the bench is Robert Balakun. 
So if you look at Gibbo going on on the wing in a position that he plays, like it's he's, he's out of position, and as you were saying, he knows exactly what he's doing. You kind of have to draw a line there or like continue on and just go, this is exactly what Farrell and Cat want the team to do in attack. Mm. Like this is this is really obvious to a guy who doesn't play in that position. So if you're a winger and you go into squad and you don't do that, there's no fucking way you're getting picked. Yeah. So like Farrell, for, for like Jimmy O'Brien, maybe he'll be involved in the World Cup, but it's quite possible he will not get a minute. And I think it's looking more and likely no, than and nobody will now. question it. Yeah. But even with my, my sort of thing with McCluskey coming in is had Henshaw not been injured, McCluskey wouldn't have got a minute. Mm. And you, you wouldn't have thought twice about it. Or you might have thought twice about it, but Farrell wouldn't have t- thought twice about it. It's yeah. just that's not the way he picks his team. But I, I, I do think that idea of like Robert Balakoon and and any winger who goes into that squad and doesn't do what he wants to do, you have no hope. Yeah. The guys who are playing out of position knows what those positions should be doing. Because, you know, as we said before, a couple of podcasts ago, he brought Mac Hansen in on the back of six or seven games for Connacht. He saw a guy who's there going, this is a guy who's doing what I want him to do. Mac Hansen's been there ever since. And I was buckled up a shitload of Man of the Match awards. Uh, and it's interesting reading the roar, the Aussie rugby, well, rugby and general sports website, who uh, didn't exactly bemoan him when he left. And now he's a serious cause celebrity about uh, more so than the the players, they, the schoolboy players that they lose to rugby union, sorry, rugby league and Aussie rules, who they basically don't name. I think that's more of a, I wouldn't say it's a myth, but it's like, Point out the exact players that you that you say you're missing. Please name them. Like if it's such a huge exodus, there's going to be loads of them. But they're very quick to point out. Look at the how the Aussie rugby system has fucked up on Mac Hansen. Um, like I when I whenever I see that, I just think it's this like it's complete after the fact nonsense. Like they have Coro Bade and uh got it was Yeah, like they have two unbelievable wingers. The problem isn't their like lack of incredibly good wingers. Uh, like the problem is so much else. Yeah. Like, and it's not necessarily identifying an underperforming guy. Like Matt Hansen brings a load to the squad in Ireland because he's clearly a character that's very different to a lot of the players who were born and raised and go through the school system in Ireland. But like also like moving to a different country and getting this enormous opportunity is clearly something that shapes a young man's lives and gives him a bit of focus and drive that he maybe didn't have, you know, knocking around playing some super rugby, which isn't that good a tournament anyway. Mm. Like, just it, it works both ways, not just like, oh, this crazy joker gives us a bit of vibes. It's like, like Ireland gave him, him this massive opportunity to like, and he's like, oh, this is like, this door's opening in my life. I better go through it. And the same with James Lowe was like, even though he doesn't, he qualified by just residency, he was like, nearly became an all black, maybe missed it, maybe could have stuck around and found out if he's going to get another opportunity. This opportunity came up, live and play in Dublin and play for Leinster and maybe play for Ireland at some point. And like, you know, his life's almost certainly better for it. Yeah, and also with the James Lowe thing while we're just discussing wingers and things, like had a chance with Ireland, got dropped by the end of the Six Nations uh, and then came back a better player. Came back like 
you know, the coaches obviously wanted to select him. Like as soon as they could select him, they did. Didn't really tick all the boxes, had things in his game to work out, worked out in them and then came back. And that's why when you talked about Balakum, which I know you're a fan of it, and so am I, like the door isn't like closed, closed on Balakum. If Balakum improves in the way that the coaching staff want to improve, door opens right back up for him. And Coombs as well as another character. Who's Correct. Like he was, he, he lost his place in the wider squad. I think he was told to get fitter. He has got fitter, got back in the squad. Now he didn't make this World Cup squad, but it's an incredibly competitive World Cup squad. And by no means closes the door on his Ireland career either. 100%. Now, other nightmare scenario. James Ryan... Yeah, I think he's goosed. Can't sign his name with either hand at this moment. Like. Yeah, I think he's got one sprain. Like, so a sprained wrist, you know, you sprained wrist means you've damaged ligaments in your wrist. And I think he's then the other side of the other limb, he's got a broken hand. Like, I've no inside information, but that's sort of widely reported, especially Midi, where like, he whispered to his friend, I think I broke my hand. Uh, so, like, you can't catch restarts can't catch line outs can't catch passes can't do anything like if he's got two fucking gammy hands he's going home but he hasn't gone home but he won't play then that's what I mean yeah and my my reaction I, I expected him that if he couldn't play he would go home and he hasn't gone home well he's he's in Dublin at the moment getting seen a specialist so let's let's get to okay, the okay, pedantics so, of this yeah um, World will be probably making a stay in some uh, partner hotel though, I'm sure. <laughs> He's the kind of character I could imagine keeping around the squad regardless. Like if, you know. But, he, but I think the, the important thing is that Keen Healy is primed to come in. He's ready to come in. So if you've got a player who can't play anything at all, then... Like, just get rid of him and bring in Keane Healy. There's no point having a guy in the squad just for him to be in there at the expense of Keane Healy who can go into your bench in the position that you're weakest in after your first choice. Correct. And also offers the further cover in disaster scenarios at two and three. Yeah. So, like, Keane Healy's a massive addition to the squad, and yet nobody's gone home. So, like, Earls hasn't gone home, Henshaw hasn't gone home, Ryan hasn't gone home, uh, Hansen hasn't gone home, which... Says a few things to me. One, they Ireland think they can go further than this weekend, and they're really playing it like that. And two, perhaps, and this is a guess, perhaps all of these guys are in the mix for the weekend. Although that looks very unlikely, given what we've been told so far. But it's really important that no one's gone home. And if Ryan goes home, he's obviously definitely out, but he was obviously going to be out for the next three. He's not going to be doing anything anywhere for the next three weeks. Mm. But uh, the, the upside to somebody going home is Keen Healy comes in. Yeah. He's definitely the next player to join, you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Like he's, he's the one fellow who, you know, he would have gone to this World Cup if he hadn't got injured in the, the last warm-up game when the squad was already selected. I, I thought the, the messaging around um, the injury to Robbie Henshaw was deliberately opaque, as in he's got a hamstring issue, which everyone goes, oh, he takes a hamstring, that's at least a couple of weeks. And then he's running the next day and you're going like, 
was the hamstring issue someone gave him a rasher or something <laughs> like uh, you know it's just like it seems like he could be in the shake up same with Earl's Hansen they said he got a knock on the calf rather yeah, than rather than a, a, uh, rather than a pulling up lame yeah which no one no one saw anyway I didn't yeah so I was there looking at it and I was like oh no, Hansen's coming off again so you said to me at the time say what you said to me at the time there I thought they were bringing him off so at that stage, so they didn't have to bring him off for the HIA. He'd already gone off for HIA, came yeah. back on for a minute and then came Yeah, yeah. That's what, so I, I was thinking like, oh, if they keep him off after the HIA, it looks bad. And I don't know if they have to do return to play protocols. And I assume like he passes the HIA, like they have a doctor there who says it. But even to get away from any media shitstorm that the keys, you go, oh, he had a, you know, he had a HIA. He can't play next week, just just to avoid that. But I, I was there going, geez, that's the only reason you Which bring I somebody on. Which I think is, is valid. He came off after 35 minutes. At that stage, we just scored our three tries. Now, he wasn't on the pitch while the, the last one was scored, or the second to the last one, actually. But it was 19-0 when he came on, uh, after coming off, passing his HIA and come back on. And then I think it might have been born more of precaution than necessity to take him off, going like, this get we're 19 nil up. Uh the Scots have to beat us by eight. Um, yeah. like we've already brought on McCluskey. That's gone well so far. Like, let's let's get this let's get this lad off the pitch. He's he's not gonna be like he's got a bang, he's got a bang in the head, he's got a bang in the leg and a bang. He's not gonna be that good for us anyway for the rest of the game. Let's get him off. And he's been stiffening up when he goes off. Yeah. And he's going to be coming into halftime. I, it just, it seemed kind of odd. Yeah. But maybe he does have a calf strain. You can't really tell from the Irish medical. No, it's, the Irish medical. It's so vague. It's like, uh, are you Bumps being, and bruises. Yeah. You've been deliberately obtuse, as the phrase was from uh, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. And especially that, oh, he could have played. <laughs> you know, like, after the World Cup final, they were saying... If it was Galactic finally could have played. <laughs> <laughs> um we are going to play the New Zealand All Blacks, famous team from down south. Um if we if we assume that uh James Ryan is out, who would you bring into the squad? Into Big the, John McCarthy. Into the squad. Yeah. And, yeah. That's the number nineteen. What about you? I bring in Joe McCarthy as well. Uh, I figure that Ty Byrne can cover six if needs be. So you don't need Ryan Baird. You don't have the same requirement for Ryan Baird uh, to cover like second row blindside. You'll want to have Jack Conan. I think, you know, the fact that Jack Conan came in immediately on the bench at Scotland wasn't just to get him a few minutes. It was that Farrell has a hierarchy. He, trust Jack Cohn to be able to play in a test match. Uh, he wants him there. And um, now maybe like on that same rationale, he just got no Ryan Baird is, is above him in the hierarchy. But I think that um, Joe Mack is, yeah, I'd have McCarthy like yeah. strong, abrasive, get stuck in. I, I think, I think he's the sort of player Farrell likes. Mm. Yeah. Um, Over the last two months of games, like the warm ups and the pool games, I think, McCarthy's form has been better than Baird's. He's more, he's not a like for like with James Ryan, but he's a second, pure second row for a pure second row. 
not a five six. Like if we Tyke Byrne getting injured, you'd be thinking like we'll bring in. Ryan yeah, Byrne yeah, good example. Yeah. yeah. Now, the opposition. Uh, yes. Uh, let's do a team for them. Yeah. Uh, Smith, Moonga, Will Jordan, Martelea, centers. Uh, Jordy Barris, first center. Yeah. And Ricky Oyoani at second yeah. center. And then fullback. I think I think Forster will choose Bone Bart rather than Damian McKenzie. And be glad if he did. Like that sounds bizarre to say about Bone Bart, two time international player of the year. But Damian McKenzie is a bigger threat, like on current form than, than Bowden Bart is, offers more to the All Blacks. I don't think there's a, like I don't think there's any particular weakness that Ireland would exploit if Damien McKenzie's a fullback. Uh, and, and, you know, geez, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Forster will choose him, but I, I don't see it. Like, McKenzie will be on the bench anyway, and who, who play, and he's playing fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm just, um, it, it's mad that there's a way, and a very sensible way, that he just doesn't get in the team. He's such a good player, and he's playing so well. Yeah. It is, like, it is. I can completely see him not getting into the team. Up front, you know, it's De Groot, I think. Cody Taylor. Uh, don't know who the tight head's going to be, if it's going to be Nepalad or Tyrell Lomax. Lomax is injured, as far as I can tell, and just back from injury. And then Whitelock will be on the bench. They'll go with Scott Barrett, who's playing great. But as you said, potentially a walking disciplinary potential. Mm. A walking but that doesn't mean anything. Walking yellow card potential. Uh Guzzler. And then Shannon Vercel, Sam Kane, and Artie. So I look at that team, the back line looks like it has threats everywhere. Uh Pack looks like it has threats at Scott Barrett and and Artie Savea. I think the, I think the choice there though is between Whitelock and Shannon Frizzell, isn't it? You can yeah. you can play Barrett at six. Yeah. I think he plays worse at six. But you get him in the team. You get you get the two of them in this. You get himself. Yeah. Well, Ritalik is going to be picked. Yeah. But you get you get Barrett, Ritalik, and Whitelock. Yeah. I'd I'd rather have Whitelock if I was the All Blacks. Uh, and, and Barrett. Um, yeah. So I I'd play Barrett at six. Okay. Which I think was the team that beat us in the first test, wasn't it? Their lineup was very strong in the first Barrett test down there six, last yeah. year, and Barrett was at six. Uh, to address our line out you noticed something from our success well, I'm not sure if I that's not rocket science it was just through to two all the time Peter Manny got up in the air and Dan Sheehan fired it at him Manny's brilliant jump two good lifters on either side of him he's great hands in the air he just moves his body really well Like he's a phenomenal line out player so it wasn't like we did adventure off as far back as the middle of the line out, you know, once or twice. But like we fixed the line out by throwing to two all the time. It didn't seem to hurt us in terms of moving the ball in the back line, which is what the nature of like going all the way back to Eddie O'Sullivan. That's why he was always looking for ball off the tail and that it helped the back line attack. And it just doesn't seem to be as much of a factor. It seems to put way more risk on your own throw when I say seems to, it does put way more risk on your own throw going to the back. Whereas between Dan Sheehan and Josh van der Fleer, 
we can engineer these these passes to get Gibson Park taking the ball essentially at 10 and get wide anyway, even if you throw to two. So Omani's value to the team was once again reinforced by his brilliant line-out play. It wasn't just him, but Hendo called an awful lot of stuff on him at the first. And he also disrupted Scottish ball very effectively. And as you pointed out to me, like that's like South Africa throw to two an awful lot. An awful lot. It's like it's the most important thing it isn't like, oh, make sure we can get some ball off four, some ball off six. It's not you're not trying to mix spices here, it's trying to win your own ball. In the playoffs in the NFL, they always say the two most important things are turnovers and special teams. So if you can get the ball back and not give it away, it seems to me it's worth a little bit slower ball than you know. Yeah, the turnovers and special teams, especially and one of the things that's almost like a special team. It's just me like, shoehorning in a way of saying, take your points, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Taking your points, but also it's like, it's, it's, a, there's certain skills like scrum. You know, we always hope it's almost like a day. It's almost like the third set piece kickoff reception. It's one thing. It's almost like the fourth set piece is defending line out malls. How, how you do it. Because so many teams on Scotland on this occasion in the Ireland Scotland game, turning down kickable points to attack from a line-out. Yeah, I, I thought Ireland's mall defence was really well-constructed because they did disrupt Scotland, Scotland's line-out, but the body positions in the in the defensive mall were excellent. Um, and there was, there was a tightness to it, like there was a sort of a determination about Ireland, what they wanted to do. Um, and they pushed Scotland back on occasion. And that was sort of enough, like, to make the referee hurry Scotland up, but also to to really take that enough to make Scotland second-guess themselves because they weren't going forward at any sort of pace. So it wasn't like they, they had this tightness and they were going they were going forward slowly, which is a great way to have them all, or it wasn't like that they'd got a real rush on it and that where it to collapse or whether to peel off the side that Ireland were more likely to be penalised. Um, so Ireland's like defensive malls were excellent, but it was, again, it's Ireland in the build-up to the match talked about Scotland being the next match, the focus being on Scotland since the, the win against South Africa. And it really seemed that they weren't, it wasn't just something that they were saying when you saw the match. I thought Ireland's rook defence was even more determined than the, the defence of the Mulls, that Ireland really made an effort to get out of the tackle to stay on their feet, to fill the line, knowing that Finn Russell is going to go wide. He's going to try to go around you. If you give him a narrow defence, he probably he's more likely to go around you and get in behind you. But even if he's faced with a wide defence, which doesn't suit that, he's still going to try to go wide, wide. And they didn't let Scotland lie on top of them. They didn't let Scotland um, tie them up. You could see guys in the side of rooks like hit at Scottish arms and step backwards and like really punch down and, and make an effort to just break break that. And again, like very clued in, very determined about what they were trying to do. Um, again, like fairly fairly basic sort of stuff, but everyone knew it. Everyone on the team knew it. All the forwards knew this is what we're doing. Body positions in the malls, get back on your feet after tackles. Don't let them hold you down. Fill the line. 
and no one going off message. Yeah, everyone now, clued in. Now Ali Price scored a try uh, in the second half, late in the second half, but that was a, a try, a supporting line try. Can you recall him having a pick or a break of any value in that game? No, no, and it's like. Gregor Townsend gave this interview like, before the South Africa Scotland South Africa game, where he said, "Oh, our plan is to go wide. That's that's our point of difference. That's our." I remember thinking at the time and going, "This is a really strange thing. Just to this is either a double bluff, and your plan. Oh, sorry, this is either a bluff, and your plan isn't to go wide against South Africa, which means you'd be playing like right into their strength, or you're just telling the team you're playing against how you're going to play because it is how you've been playing. So let's go." So that's sort of interesting. And then, like, Scotland play everything, fucking everything off 10. Like, even their one out is off 10, you know? They'll give to Finn Russell and he'll have a look across and he can throw the pass to anybody. And if it's then, you know, like, I want to say one out, it'll just be Sherman. They play nothing offline. So as Andy, you were saying, like, our, our lads are getting back on their feet as quick as they can, not getting tangled up in the ruck and just filling like, making sure the spacing was good. Like there was an awful lot of running into position in that game from Irish forwards, especially, but Irish backs as well. Um and and um and and like and Scotland, you know, not that he didn't have good moments because they did. Like Scotland I'm being harsh on them because I was sort of irritated by the build up. But like Scotland are a good attacking side, particularly threatening in the back line. But Holy smokes, they do exactly what they say in the team. And it's like, that is not going to not gonna be enough to beat sides who are better than you. And I guess there's there's a nervousness, I, well, I, I, there's nervousness for me about the quarterfinal, the fact that it's the All Blacks, the fact that it's a quarterfinal of the World Cup. But Ireland's, Scotland weren't useless. Scotland are the fifth best team in the world. And they did really try to attack. Ireland withstood them. They presented a very different opposition than the Springboks did. But then they scored two tries. And it was there was a moment in the second half. I would I don't even know if it was the last 10 minutes. 65 minutes, 60, 64 yeah, and 65. Thought, they scored back-to-back tries. Like. Oh, I guess 66, where the ball got kicked in to the Irish half. It had been in play for a bit. Jack Crowley covered oh. back. And he looked absolutely gassed. And I thought it to myself this guy's been on for like just over 10 minutes and he looks absolutely shattered. And you could sort of see when Ireland had switched off a bit and the Scots ran at them, even, and particularly in the last few minutes, like Ireland were shattered. Now, like so were Scotland. Um, but that it was, it was a very physical test match. It was a very aerobic test match in a, in a different way than the South African match was, was a very physical match. Um, but there are in its last two matches. So that's that's battle hard. That's really good for a team to go in. I think the, the the South Africa match, as well as being battle hardened, gives you an enormous amount of confidence. And then the fact that you back it up against Scotland gives you I guess a little bit more confidence. It's it's they're uh, two very different tests. It reinforces what you're doing, but you're not worrying about any of your guys missing out on match sharpness, match fitness, any of that. Like it's 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 an enviable situation to be in. I had a, I was thinking of this on the walk in this morning. Um, two things. 
Like, if that had been Ross Byrne running back, like, as Crowley had run back, people would be fucking killing him for it. They'd be shitting on him. And you know that's true. Uh, like, Crowley looked like he was jogging. And then you realise, this guy can't run any faster. Like, he's goosed. Uh, his cross kick was brilliant. The rest of the time, and it was brought up either by by Simon Easterby or one of the assistant coaches about playing smarter when he was on. Like, that, the, you know, we, he wasn't kicking the ball well. He wasn't putting it out. We had that game won, and all we needed not to do was not to invite the Scots to run at us. That game could have, like, pretty clearly ended up 36 0 or 42 7 or something like that. Um, so my question was, would you pick Jack Crowley or Ross Byrne? If you're not going to use Jack Crowley's versatility, you're just going to use him to replace Johnny Sexton. Like, why would you, would you oh, have him on he'll, the... He'll pick Jack Crowley. Do you think so? Yeah, definitely. I think in the same rationale as he picks Jack Cohn and he picks Stuart McCluskey, he's, he's made his decision. Yeah, I wouldn't for this one, for the quarter. I think Ross runs a tighter ship. I'd pick Crowley, and I, well, I maybe I'm just convinced he will, so that's what I what I'm thinking. But I, I think the air went out of the whole game around. This maybe it was just before the two tries. Probably was just before Ring the Rose's try. No, just before the two Scottish tries. So around sixty three minutes. Like I watched it twice. I watched it live. I don't remember anything that happened after the two Scottish tries. I watched it again the next morning. I think I just completely switched off again once the Scottish tries went in. It's like. Everyone's just going, like, I take the whistle right now if you want. Yeah. Like, 36 nil yeah. after like 55 minutes. And I, so I think there's there's an element of like, maybe the, the adrenaline had just stopped or whatever the, whatever it was that would just, the, the whole team seemed to cool down, even the guys had only just been on. I absolutely agree. Because if you consider Everyone. when we took the players off, like Sexton came off after 45, 45, so yeah, 20 minutes for that. So, the rest of the forwards who came off came off before 50 minutes. So there was that on for like 20 minutes who looked fucking shattered. Because yeah. maybe, you know, they're coming into a game where they're 20, uh, 24 nil up, I think. And then within another 10 minutes, sorry, within another six minutes, it's 36 nil and they're going, like, what do I need to do here? Can't concede that many points in such a short period of time. How do you feel about the match on Saturday? I'm curiously zen. I'm uh, curiously zen, but then I was when I, you got me to go through the New Zealand teams, I was like, "Geez, New Zealand have loads of good players." Buzzing for it, really, because I'm going over, and it it did amaze me just how many Irish people were over there with tickets, <laughs> like. Going into the queue on the World Cup site two years ago, really hard to get tickets. So you know, had to go through a travel agent to get them. Uh, and then you think, there can't be this many tickets going through a travel agent. So I guess people have follow your team passes or they've got stadium passes or the French had bought a load and then they, they put them back up. But whatever way, there was just a monstrous amount of Irish people in Paris and Irish people with tickets. And... You're there going, there was a monstrous amount of Irish people at the South Africa match. And if there's anything Irish people like doing, it's doing stuff that other Irish people are doing. It just 
It's complete and utter snowball. No one likes being left out. Maxo FOMO. So people are going to go over in their droves. New Zealand is a long, long way from Paris. There might be Kiwis booked to come up for the quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So fine, they'll come up. It's not going to be an enormous number of them because it's so far to go. And there might be Kiwis living in London who'll go over. But again, if you compare it to the amount of Scots that went, who are Scottish people that live in Scotland, like that, that can plan for this, there's there's not going to be that many again. So I would say there's going to be 60,000 to Irish people to about 5,000 Kiwis with the balance of them French and a few Safas. Um, but there may be more Irish people. Just Do you think so? Demand, even more? Even more. Just oh, because the demand for tickets will be so big. Um, Giveaway budget as well. And there is going to be... So that, that was the second week in a row. But like the, the South African match was incredibly tense from the off. It was such a gladiatorial game. It was an incredibly high standard game of rugby. Whereas the Scottish match was pretty much over after the first minute because you're going like, these guys are going to have to score 14 points more, 15 points more than the Irish team is going to have to score in the remainder in order to go through. Like, So this is, this is done. <laughs> We're obviously much better than them. Whereas I think the match against New Zealand is, I think it's going to be an absolute belter of a rugby match with a huge Irish crowd there in a great arena of a stadium. So it's, it's going to be something else. And coupled with the fact that France are playing South Africa the following day, they're going to be the two best matches of the World Cup. Correct. I absolutely agree. Well, let's talk about that match. France, South Africa or Ireland, New Zealand? France, South Africa. I think we've talked enough about the Ireland team for, for the moment. But, yeah, okay. France, New Z France, South Africa, I asked you at the weekend... Who do you think would win? You said South Africa. I think the Africans will win, yeah. And um, uh, another part of the conversation said if, if Dupont's not playing, South Africa will win. Um, I'm confident the French will win. The French are like they're brilliant. I I I I think everyone. And there again, putting words in people's mouths. Certainly, if Dupont plays, I think they'll they're much better than South Africa. They don't, are, don't think so at all. They are fearsome attacking team, and they're they're going to bring back Boy and uh, is the other hooker back. Marshawn is he back? Was he out? No, I don't think he is back. No, no. But listen, they have uh, the lad who was start Lower Shells. He's a super player, and I think they have. Uh, I think Pano is uh, such a good winger. I think, you know, the consistent kicker, they're going to have an enormous, enormous crowd on their side, putting pressure on the referee, singing the Marseillaise every time, you know, they string three passes together and then cheering themselves for singing the Marseillaise and starting the process all over again. Can you imagine how sore the South Africans are going to be if they lose? <laughs> and um, I, think I think they're destined to be in the final. And they're destined to right the wrong of losing to England in a couple of semi-finals as well. I think their second row is going to struggle against the South African size. I think their front five is sort of going to struggle against, like obviously Antonio's a unit, but you know the one-two punch of Kitsoff and Oxen Che, we experienced significant difficulty with it. 
Um, Bungie against Mauvaka is very much immovable object Bungie versus unstoppable force. I think Mauvaka's lineouts can go wrong. Now he's got a good lineout pair to throw. But he's, geez, he's actually got three great lineout targets. Uh, I think the South Africans tend to win tight games, make games like that's why it was so fucking brilliant that Ireland beat them. Because South Africa, like it was a tight game that favoured South Africa. They'll play Pollard, kick the letter off. Like I expect them to play like they played against Wales in the semi final four years ago. Make it a fucking shit fest. South Africa were better in the most recent match, the one in Marseille, where Wayne Barnes refereed, and Wayne Barnes is the homer of a ref. I think, I think, I really think that, uh, I think South Africa are a better team. However, I think the decision not to pick a backup for Bongi um, could come back and haunt them. I think it haunted them against us. Mm. I don't, like all the same stuff that we said uh, about beforehand about the match. Their bomb squad isn't the same. Um, their two sub props are very good. They're gonna they could have a real problem with their sub hooker. Um who I think they're gonna have to bring on for like at least 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, maybe longer. If Bongi gets a bad injury, I think that the return of DuPont is absolutely enormous. Like France have just great try scoring ability with DuPont and Entomac. Like, or not Entomac. Uh, Peno. Peno. So, I, I don't know. Like, there's the <laughs> It's really interesting. The main, the main thing is, like, there's going to be such a crowd with France. Yeah. There's going to be an incredible buzz. Like, this is, this is the match. When did the tournament kick off? The 8th of, the 7th of September? Yeah. So, it's, we're recording this in the 10th. Tomorrow's the 11th. That game's going to kick off in the 15th. Like, this is the match they've been waiting for. And it's it's five weeks later. Um, uh, they were looking forward to their... Like, they played New Zealand in the opener, you know? But that's what I mean. Like, the, the match... Oh, so since... Between, oh, between so those. Since, yeah, since yeah, yeah. those two. Um, and uh, that's very different from any other... Venue that you, and and even scenario that you could possibly play with, so I just I think it's going to be absolutely cracking. Yeah, it's an amazing game. Like the the matchups can be really fascinating. Like uh, Charles Olivon against uh, Peter Steftutoy is a fascinating matchup, and then um, Dante versus Tialende uh, is fascinating. I suppose I I didn't really know what I meant there. What I mean is that for French guys. The French guys who play really well in this match, if there's if there's one or two, there are three of them, that, that'll make them win. And whoever it is that plays really well is his life will transform. So he's gonna do it in France, in front of a home crowd, at prime time, in just like the biggest venue he can play in in his life. So you look at French rugby and you hear the stories of the bouclier. And guys that win the bouclier and they bring it back and they show their family and they show their friends. And like everybody crowds around them in the pictures. And this is bigger than club rugby, even though the bouclier is enormous. Like this is this is for France. And like obviously DuPont is is cast into that. But like if Penno scores twice, Aldrich. if Aldrich scores, like it they're just gonna be like that's them for life. Or Ramos. Kicking nine, oh, nine goals versus yeah. eight goals. 
like that that is them for life they're they're just going to be transformed so it's 27 24 all goal kicks it's an inc- like it's an inc- it's an incredibly that's a potential score not a joke it's an inc- it's, a, it's an incredible game yeah it's going to be like it is going to be so emo like the the box play with a huge amount of emotion like they're old-fashioned team in that regard they're an old-fashioned international team uh, and the french are going to be up to a fucking 90. like i think it's just go- i would be really surprised like we played the box without yellow cards and without sustaining significant injury given a match of that so it can happen in a game of incredible physicality but I don't know if it's going to happen it twice. I don't think Lightning's going to strike twice. I think it's going to be, um, like I think it's you're going to see lads wheeled off in this game. So the fact that South Africa brought Lacanio Man back into their squad, he hasn't had much game time at all. Pollard's had one run out, and you go, how much prominence does Razi give to them when he picks his squad? So if, if he if he picks Am, does he drop Jesse Jesse Creel? Jesse Creel's played all the matches, and this is his third World Cup. Um, for a guy who's rusty, albeit brilliant. And if you pick Sam on the bench, at the expense of who? At the expense of Willie LaRue? Like, can he go into a match without picking Willie LaRue? And if he goes into a match without picking Willie LaRue, having picked Lacan Yuam, you go to yourself, why didn't you just pick another hooker? Yeah. Like, did, did you really need to bring back Lacan Yuam when your next match is against France? And you know this. Like, if you beat France, you're probably going to win the tournament. But if you don't, you're gone. Yeah, well, so that's you, what, you just you kind of you want like you you see Razzie as as this gambler, and you go, wow, like he's he's really all in on a few on a few decisions here that could backfire. So it's like whereas if he gets through, you go, that dude has got some rugby whispering ability. Like he's he <laughs> he's made some ballsy ballsy calls yeah. there. But uh, like like you brought it up there, I hadn't thought of it until you, but like. Would he stick with six two, or will he go to to like five three so he can get Lucano Am and Willie Larue? If he on goes the bench? to five three. He doesn't. He doesn't have an adequate sub hooker. So you're sort of going like he's picking one of his back rows to cover. Just pick. Just pick for for. I suppose he picks the two. He picks the two flankers. One of them to cover. Yeah. And he pick Quagga Smith. And you're picking Snyman. Yeah. You just drop Marco Van Staden because he's fucking like yeah he's such an ordinary Springbok. You know, and you drop John Klein, you pick Willie Larue, and you pick Lacan. You, 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 you pick better players, and yeah, bigger. But it's so, it, it is such a move from yeah. them to go from seven one and their six two split to a five three. But I can totally see it. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, very different for him though. Very different for him. And then, and then with uh, like the huge imponderable of like if Dupont. Like they I don't know if they, they said it like a casket. They're going to play him in a helmet. You're going like what's it mean? A scrum cap or something more, more like significant? A Lego man sort of. Yeah, with like a plume. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, Imagine just like if he plays, which like I'm assuming he will. If they if they've gone, they found, they've wheeled out some doctor who will give him will give him the get passing the NCT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like some fucking Marseille backstreet abortionist. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, doctor Nique, <laughs> And then like you know, the crowd will go insane. He'll do the first Dupont thing, and 
you know, it'll just it'll just put them beyond whatever the the hype was hype level was at it in the New Zealand game. The French, this is a massive nationalist operation to restore pride in France. If you have just to like cry, he'll cry. Just yeah. like the ninety nine World Cup or okay. ninety eight World Cup. Sorry, in the in the soccer, they will move heaven and earth to win this. That's why I've always thought they were going to win it. It is an incredible like it. Like in 2011, New Zealand were so broken and so nervous by the time they got there, but they, it, like, it did make a big difference to them playing at home. But and then McCall, like, I'm playing and, on and a broken foot. McCall, but like, Play, but like England, ball. England were knocked out of their of their home tournament in 2015. Japan like had a great tournament, but their Japan like it was it was a real journey into the unknown for them. New Zealand like limped over the line. Uh, 2011, 2007, France got beaten in their opening game and then they just got psyched out by Johnny Wilkinson. So they, that, that was a real kind of a damn squib. Australia got to a final in 2003, borne along by their uh, by their home supporters and like put the four more years test match in. So like, it's been a while since there's been a home team. I suppose you have to point to New Zealand in 12 years ago. And that match was so nervous, whereas this one is just like so exciting, so bubbly. Yeah, because the context was New Zealand had the reputation of being World Cup chokers. Yeah. You know, that they hadn't won. It's not the New Zealand of, oh, we look at them as back-to-back champions, greatest team ever in the 2015 edition. Back in, you know, up to whatever, October 26th or 27th, their last World Cup win was in, was in like 1987. You know, they hadn't won one since. They were the guys who got to the World Cup who were for half the decade or maybe even the full decade world number one and choked on the big occasion. So I can only imagine how nervous and tense New Zealand was as an entire country, whereas Paris is absolutely buzzing. Like Paris is the capital of the world at the moment. Maybe at all. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible city. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, And it's, people are having a good time there. Uh, It looks amazing the weather's unseasonably warm it's 25 degrees on today it was it was 25 degrees at the weekend weekend. it's going to fall a bit but even then like it's it's still there's still like there's an incredible atmosphere there yeah um so that that i'm so jealous actually that you're you're going over to both games um but i'd love i'd love to be at those games yeah, as I said, I'm curiously zen about it. I was so wound up on the train back from Tokyo, back or from the Tokyo Stadium back into town after getting absolutely pummeled by the All Blacks, having bought tickets for the other quarterfinal, thinking we're going to win our group, and then performing an enormous financial operation in order to get tickets for the uh, the Saturday quarterfinal, where we got hammered by the All Blacks and we knew we were beaten after about three minutes. And I was so wound up, and I said, you know what, it's really not worth getting this wound up about a sports match. This is a great Ireland team. I've enjoyed everything they've done. If they lose at the weekend, so be it. I presume they're going to perform because it looks That's like the other thing. Too. That's the other thing about this quarterfinal. I am under, my feeling on this is if they were going into a game against Argentina or Wales or Fiji or England, they would have more time to think about it, the fact that it's a quarterfinal and a knockout match. And there's, even though I'm, I'm not worried about them, uh, I think that they're more, they have a better mentality than any other previous Irish team. 
that would be the sort of thing that weighs on my mind. Think more of the scenario than the actual game. Because they're playing the All Blacks, they're just going to have to think about the fucking game all the time. Like, I think as well that this Irish team are... They wouldn't give a fuck if they got knocked out in the quarterfinals or the semifinals because they want to win it. Like, their their ambition is, like, to win this tournament. Like, if you don't win it, you don't win it. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Do it. Uh, I, I think even the fact that nobody has come home is... The idea that he mightn't be fit this weekend, but he'd be fit the following weekend. There will be a following weekend. Mm. I think, like, e- even the message that he he's sending out is that, like, you're going to have to be gone for three weeks. Gone, gone, definitely gone. Yeah, Falatau gone. Falatau gone. Camp Hague has got broken arm. T- to be sent home. Be- Can't believe they didn't keep Falatau in. Just tape it up. Just give him the same mask that uh, stick a few masks in his arm. Stick, stick a few helmets on his arm. <laughs> Without yeah. So yeah, I think I think you're right. That he's got the squad that he likes, he's got the squad he wanted, he's there trying to keep them together as long as they want to tell a few lies or untruths or just don't give any fucking you know, keep keep the keep the show on the road, isn't it? In the springtime, I love Paris in the fall. I love Paris in the winter when it drizzles. I love Paris in the summer when it sizzles. I love Paris every moment. Every moment of the year I love Paris Why, why do I love Paris? Because my love is here